Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. Pod Control is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud native. Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to the PodCTL Podcast. It's good to be back with all of you this week. Uh, a lot going on. We've got a lot of trade shows that are starting to kick off this time of year in May, and a lot of announcements from different vendors. And obviously, if you're paying attention to what's going on in the Kubernetes community or with Red Hat, uh, we've got Red Hat Summit coming up. We've got OpenShift 4 being uh, coming out here very, very soon. Um, we've got KubeCon coming out. And so one of the big topics that's been going on, uh, been a couple announcements here in the last few weeks, has really been around this concept of operators and the operator framework and operators and how more and more companies are adopting operators as their sort of standard model for uh, packaging their application and deploying their application. So we thought we would dig into that a little bit more, uh, something we've talked about a little bit. We really wanted to dig into a little bit more. So very excited to have Rob Zumsky, who is uh, Senior Product Manager at Red Hat, focused on operators. So Rob, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you. So we uh, we did have a chance, man, it's been almost a year now. We talked to Brandon Phillips when the Operator Framework came out, but give folks uh, a little bit of background of how you got involved with operators, uh, you know, going way back even before, before Red Hat days. Yeah, so I used to work with Brandon Phillips at CoreOS, uh, where we kind of birthed this idea and concept of operators. And we've been kind of pushing that forward ever since. Um, and then uh, since we've joined Red Hat through um, the acquisition, um, Red Hat has really embraced it. And we've got a, a ton more engineers working on the effort. Very cool. And what's your focus area and, and what does it have to do with operators? Um, so I look over a lot of the teams that are building some of the tooling to help folks make operators, um, install them on their clusters, basically the entire operator framework, as well as interfacing with some of our partners um, and customers that want to build operators to, you know, uh, do maintenance and updates of their applications, uh, these complex distributed systems that they're running on Kubernetes. Yeah, very, very cool. You know, I mentioned we talked to Brandon last year when it, uh, Operator Framework launched at KubeCon. And, you know, the, at the time it was very focused on um, let's make it a, an open source project. Let's make it Kubernetes specific, not any distribution specific. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at the time there were, uh, you know, a number of companies who had been experimenting with operators before the framework because, uh, CoreOS had kind of announced it way back at the original, well, Seattle KubeCon, if you will. So, you know, there were some things out there. Kind of give us a, a you know, w- what does the last year look like? There's been a lot of things that have been announced. A lot of things have become more formalized. Kind of get people up to speed if they haven't been following since since a year ago. Sure. Um, I think a, a number of things matured in Kubernetes itself that uh, kind of teed us up for success. Um, that is the custom resource definition. This is kind of the blessed extension model for Kubernetes. Um, kind of graduated to its stable status, and we've got folks that you know can depend on building on these objects. Um, and so the operator um, builds upon that. So instead of um, you know writing a uh, MongoDB database and you make a stateful set and um, do that whole thing, you can actually have a MongoDB object that uh, plugs in directly to your uh, Kubernetes cluster. So if you do kubectl get MongoDBs, you see your MongoDBs, and that's a really kube native experience. Um, and so that's kind of matured enough where it's actually usable by folks. And so we see now an explosion of operators that are being written in that manner. So you've got objects for um, couch-based clusters, for machine learning uh, services, for messaging queues, uh, that type of thing. 
Yeah, very, very cool. So all of that's been going on. So that's obviously, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Kubernetes has become more stable. People are more comfortable with CRDs. You know, kind of the whole framework needed has become much more stable and robust. Um, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, there was this thing announced called Operator Hub. Um, give us a sense of what is Operator Hub, who's behind it, and kind of what's its, what's its function. Yeah, so Operator Hub is a really exciting thing uh, to get out in the world. It's a community listing of these operators. And these operators are high quality, um, known to work well, and ready for you to take off the shelf and plug into your products. Um, and so this is folks that are um, experimenting with a new prototype and they want to pull off a NoSQL database. Um, you know, with the operator, they don't have to be an expert in running that database. Um, and with Operator Hub, they can discover all of the operators out there for them to use. Right. And, you know, I noticed there's there's a lot of different ones out there. This is not uh, not necessarily like a Red Hat thing. I mean, there's there's stuff from AWS, there's stuff from all these different vendors. Is this considered to be kind of a community thing, maybe analogous to like uh, how Docker Hub originally was? Or, you know, what's the how should people think about Operator Hub in terms of, you know, what what they're going to find out there in terms of content? Yeah, it's all from the community, um, and so it's a bunch of uh, projects, um, you know, in open source communities like uh, TensorFlow and things like that um, are interested in getting their operators on here, um, as well as some uh, kind of the freemium version of some commercial projects um, that are out there, and uh, it's really just a community-driven thing, and we want um, anybody to contribute, you know, their operators that are high quality and generally useful for folks um, so that we can build upon them. And kind of the next uh, milestone will be then once we have this ecosystem of operators, how can they start working together? Um, so, you know, an application probably has a stateless and a stateful tier. How can you make those two work together if they were two operators, for example? Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm looking at the, the site right now. I mean, you know, you mentioned uh, stuff around complex applications. I mean, there are things for logging and tracing, for monitoring, for databases, for uh, federation. There's a whole bunch of different things out there. And again, like you mentioned, this is taking things that you could have cobbled together in various ways before on Kubernetes, but now it becomes much simpler, it becomes very much of, you know, I want database as a service. So give me a database operator. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, all these applications are extremely complex. Um, and what's interesting is even databases might even side on the more simplistic side. If you look at something like um, Kafka, for example, you don't need to be an expert in how Kafka components discover each other. Um, how do they generate all their TLS certificates so it's, uh, you know, to secure their communication between them? Um, how do they generate the, all that stuff? You don't need to be an expert in that. You can just take off um, a Kafka operator from Operator Hub and plug it in and, you know, be sending messages through it without having to get all into the in the weeds about how it actually works. Yeah, the only thing I notice on the page is, um, you know, if you go right up to the very top right, there's a whole section on contributing. And there's a very nice uh, area there that kind of highlights not only um, you know, what's there in the operator framework. So you get a sense of the documentation that you'd need, but also, you know, walks you through a few different options. Um, you know, we've talked to the, the Ansible operator team. Can you give folks a sense uh, of maybe some of the different options broadly of how people can build operators? Yeah. Um, and this is a really important point is if you think about kind of everybody in the Kubernetes community, it's a, it's a spectrum of skill sets. Some folks are more operations focused, um, some folks are, you know, uh, very hardcore software engineers and they're contributing to upstream. Then you have some folks that fit in the middle there. And uh, so what we have done is produced a set of SDKs based on technology that kind of maps across that spectrum. Um, so uh, if you've got like an existing uh, Helm chart that you want to turn into an operator um, to run it in a more secure way, um, we have a Helm SDK to help you do that. And that's probably the kind of easiest on-ramp into getting into the operator ecosystem. 
Um, but then we've got folks that are operations teams um, and, you know, they're not traditional software engineers, but they want to make a pretty complex operator. And so that's where you can take off some Ansible playbooks that you might have already invested in and uh, use those and build an operator with our Ansible SDK. And then uh, really far on the, you know, hardcore software engineering side is our Go SDK. And the exciting thing about this is it uses the same tools and libraries that the upstream community uses to build Kubernetes itself. So you got the full power there. Now, you don't need to jump kind of uh, off the deep end. We actually do a bunch of code scaffolding with our SDK, um, with all of our SDKs, so that you don't have to kind of write all this code to do the craft of how do I talk to the Kubernetes API and how do I do credentials and all that. Um, what we want you to be able to do is just take your business logic, what makes your application unique, its operational needs, and help you codify that into the operator, whether that's a Helm chart, an Ansible playbook, or kind of native Go code. Yeah. And I think it's important you you highlight the Helm chart piece of it. Obviously, um, a lot of the ones that are are getting put out into Operator Hub are around the Go SDK and sort of the, the fuller experience. Um, but I, the, the Helm one is very, very interesting. And I think it's it's worth highlighting because while Helm has become this sort of de facto way of doing templating or packaging, um, you know, Helm does have sort of a, a big security hole that goes with it because it wants to, um, you know, be given pr- privilege, privilege access to your cluster, which means you you open up a potential security hole. And while a lot of people support Helm or they say they support Helm, they also go, well, that security issue is on your own. Can you talk a little bit about how the Helm operator addresses part at least part of that issue? Sure. Um, yeah, and I think the security issue is just one of two um, that the operator addresses. Um, and so the Helm community is learning from this. So um, we're talking about Helm 2. Um, Helm 3 is coming out. It's going to be um, fix a lot of these issues, and it's really going to embrace um, the core use case of Helm, which is being this really rich templating language for ultimately, at the end of the day, generating Kubernetes objects. Um, so the security issue is going to be fixed with Helm 3. So that, that's a, um, a good thing for that community to get behind them. Um, the other issue is that Helm is typically a process that's kicked off either by a human or by like a Jenkins pipeline or some sort of automation. Um, but it's kind of one and done once it runs. And so what the operator does is plugs in your chart to this long running uh, process that's running in the cluster so that it's always looking for different uh, changes to like your values that you're passing into your Helm chart and then immediately running the Helm chart. Um, so you're kind of injecting something that's watching the cluster and then making smart things happen, which is what the operator's doing. Um, and so it's uh, kind of taking a human out of the loop there and, you know, and plugging it directly into the cluster. Yeah, no, it makes it makes a ton of sense. And definitely, uh, you know, another one of those big advancements we need in the, in the Kubernetes community. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, we had a chance to talk to, uh, to Clayton Coleman and Derek Carr, um, two of the core architects around OpenShift 4. And we talked about how, OpenShift is leveraging operators under the covers. So the way that all of the capabilities within OpenShift will now be uh, at least platform level uh, as operators. So whether it's logging or Kubernetes itself or any other aspect. Um, but you you and your teams work a lot with the different sort of ISV you know, application level companies um, that are looking at operators. Can you kind of walk us through, let's say you engage with one of those companies and they say, uh, you know, we've got Kafka or we've got a messaging queue or whatever it might be. Like, Kind of what, how do you have to educate them? What's the process typically for them to go, okay, I, I know my best practices, but how do I get this into the operator? And then maybe, you know, what are some of the things that are, that are cool that come out of that, you know, come out of metering or something like that? Yeah. Um, so we've worked with a bunch of folks that are uh, starting out from either scratch and they, you know, they've got some containers, but they haven't done any, they don't have a Kubernetes story. 
all the way to folks that are very adept at Kubernetes and um, just need help, uh, you know, kind of um, building their operator, testing it. Um, testing an operator is extremely critical when we're talking about all these stateful services and these complex applications. You need to know exactly what it's going to do given uh, a node failure or one of your pods goes away or um, some human comes in and tries to misconfigure the application. You need to have a really good, solid test framework for knowing exactly how you're going to respond to those. Um, and that is the business logic that you're putting in that operator. And so our SDKs have um, a testing framework built in for you to help um, you know, test this desired state loop that you have, um, this reconciliation loop. And so we do a lot of uh, work helping folks just um, get plugged into that and kind of do the right things. Um, but it's also about problem solving across these different partners. Um, a lot of folks are running into some of the same um, complexity concerns or they um, want to solve the same problem. And so we help kind of stitch together common architectures for doing that so that everyone's not reinventing the wheel and having to redo all this engineering work. Yeah, no, I like it. It's, um, you know, and I think we're going to see more and more because there's life cycle built around operators. Um, it's going to make it simpler for uh, those those ISVs, those applications to get life cycled, to get updated and so forth. And then I, I think the metering being built in is something that um, is going to be really important. People that have you know, use the public cloud leverage metering because it's just sort of there um, for, you know, your, your private environments and so forth. It's really not kind of been there. So having some visibility of like, what are people doing with these? How are they being used? I think will be beneficial to the to the end users. They, they get a better sense of what's being done, but also to the ISVs because now they have a sense of, you know, potentially, you know, which features are being used or what patterns are being used. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it's important for um, just SREs operating the cluster as well. So if you've got a, a Mongo operator that's um, running on the cluster, accessible to everybody, and it might be in charge of, say, like a thousand databases, you need to have some aggregate metrics about um, how are these databases being used? What is their health? Um, just so you can kind of operate that database tier, even if it is self-serviced by a lot of teams. Um, you as the admin of the cluster are ultimately responsible for all of that infrastructure. Um, so you need to have some tools at your disposal to help with that. Yeah. Hey, real quick, I, you know, when you were with CoreOS, um, you know, one of the the more visible customers um, uh, was was the folks um, at Ticketmaster. And Ticketmaster was kind of an early adopter of like the Prometheus mon- uh, uh, of operator. Can you quickly talk about kind of how they were using the operator? Because I know they basically said, um, you know, we would have never as an ops team been able to, to think about doing this with every request, but we made the operator uh, pattern. It, it just made it simpler for those apps, uh, ops teams or apps, apps teams, I guess. Yeah. So they, they embraced the uh, Prometheus operator pretty early. Um, and their kind of engineering setup is they've got a bunch of different teams working on um, this infrastructure that really needs to scale because, you know, every time Beyonce tickets go on sale or whatever, they're basically DDoSing themselves. Um, and they know this when this event is going to happen, but they need to make sure all their infrastructure stays up. And, you know, it's not just one of these events every year. It's not like one Black Friday. They're selling tickets all the time to these hot concerts. And so what they needed to do is empower each of those teams to um, build observability into their stack. Um, but, you know, everyone's choosing kind of tools here and there and using some SaaS services and some other things and some are being installed. And they basically realized that um, we need to standardize on something, but we don't want to, you know, have um, an ops person running every single one of these metric stacks for all these 200 teams. And so they standardized on the operator and it, I think they're running hundreds of instances of Prometheus um, but, you know, they didn't have to scale their human ops team to help them do that because the operator is really doing all of it. So they get all the best practices that are embedded in the operator for running HA Prometheus, securing it, et cetera. 
Um, and so they really, they get to focus on what matters to their business, which is building out their dashboards and then actually watching the infrastructure. Right. Yeah. And I think they're, they're a good early example of this. And obviously we're, we're beginning to see more and more examples of, of people getting familiar with operators and, and using them. Hey, one last question. Uh, we talked about operator hub. Uh, we've sort of basically talked a little bit about OpenShift 4. Um, what do we see the interaction being? Is there going to be uh, you know, some interaction between Operator Hub and, and those things in the community for content and self-service and, and what will happen in uh, OpenShift 4? Yeah, so uh, OpenShift 4 is going to have an embedded version of Operator Hub inside of it with um, all the operators that are uh, high quality and known to work on OpenShift specifically. Um, so OpenShift has got a little bit of a stronger security stance, which our enterprise customers love. Um, and so we've got um, a subset of um, all of the operators that work really well and great on OpenShift um, are going to be uh, one-click installable from OpenShift itself. Um, so if you want to expose out any of the database services, messaging services, whatever we just talked about, um, to specific namespaces in your cluster, you can do that with one click from the OpenShift console. Uh, I think this is going to be really exciting for folks that are um, onboarding applications and want to have a better operational story around them, um, especially if they're um, launching new applications and just want to pull something off the shelf and quickly get it online and running in production. Um, operators are the way to go. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, you know, obviously you're going to be at, at Red Hat Summit. Uh, will you also be at KubeCon if folks want to maybe pick your brain and uh, talk about some of these things? Yes, I'll be at both. Um, and uh, always open to uh, talk to folks, either uh, building operators internally for their applications, um, open source communities, as well as partners. Very, very cool. Rob, thank you so much for the time today, folks. As always, thank you for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. And thanks for rating the show on iTunes and all the other places you get your podcast. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, you'll see a lot of announcements from Red Hat next week, obviously, with Red Hat Summit and then some things with KubeCon. But uh, uh, we will be hitting up what's going on with KubeCon coming up in a couple of weeks. And we look forward to seeing anybody or you, know, you want to say hi or talk about the show, we'd be happy to have you on. So with that, we'll let you go and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podcontrol.com, P-O-D-C-T-L, or at Podcontrol on Twitter. We'll talk to you again next week.